Hello everyone, welcome back to the Black and Red Book Review Podcast. My name is Doc, I am a street medic, an herbalist, a soon-to-be certified drug dealer based out of so-called New England, and on this podcast I rate, read, review, critique, and mock white nationalist and neo-Nazi literature. I read this shit so that other people don't have to. And today's episode is not so much going to involve either white nationalism or neo-Nazism as distinct political traditions, although the book I'll be covering today definitely influenced both. And if you hear someone who talks about this particular text favorably, they are certainly either one or the other, and the difference tends to fall into an aesthetic choice of whether or not to fly the swastika. Now, the text I will be covering today has been spoken about on this podcast previously. I had my friend Hayward on uh, discussing Willis Carto and modern-day white nationalists' attempts to infiltrate the mainstream conservative movement. And in that episode, Hayward alluded to a New England local who was rather enthusiastic about today's text. So for those of you uh, who don't have the time to go back and listen to Willis Carto Part 2, The text I'll be covering today is entitled The Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion, which is, we have to establish this immediately before we begin. This is a forgery. And it's not only a forgery, even if it were not a forgery, the premise of this short little 57-page pamphlet, at least the PDF was 57 pages, the actual premise of this text doesn't make any fucking sense. If you're going to hold a giant conspiracy of super elites who are trying to take over the world. Why, why, by all the gods, why would you ever write that down? It's one thing, also, a, another point before we begin here. The, there is a big difference between taking notes at a meeting and transcribing every single word that a person spoke at that hypothetical meeting. Uh, This is supposedly a set of notes from a meeting. It just so happens that the notes are so long, so voluminously written, that they come out to 57 fucking pages. So, that person is either underpaid or they do not understand what their supposed job at this fake meeting was. Um, in, In addition to that, of course, the actual writing, just going through it without the I believe Jews are running the world brain bug beforehand proves that uh, this is the most obvious cop shit I've ever read in my entire life. So whoever the original author was was most likely some functionary with the Okhrana, which was the secret police of Tsarist Russia, and this was written circa 1880. Now you may be wondering, what was going on in Russia in the 1880s that necessitated an anti-Semitic false flag to blame Russia's domestic political troubles on someone other than the Tsar and the nobles? We will get to that, I promise. Um, But before we go here, let's discuss a little bit of who translated the version of the text that I read here. So, it was translated to English by a man named Victor Marsden. Uh, He took the name Victor Marsden. I have no idea what his original Russian name is. Uh, He was exiled from the USSR and moved to London in about 1919. So, right when the USSR was getting kicked off as a political project. Now... He did not uh, seem to get kicked out of the USSR for cool reasons like Emma Goldman or Nestor Machno or Alexander Berkman or anybody like that, Voline or whoever. Uh, he seems to have gotten kicked out for being an anti-Semitic piece of shit and a sympathizer with the nobles and the monarchy. So, uh, yeah, fuck him. Uh, so, uh, the inter- the 
author of the introduction here, uh, rather, rather fond of Mr. Marsden, apparently a contemporary of his as well. So he says, quote, Though the subject matter is somewhat formless, Mr. Marsden's literary touch reveals the thread running through the 24 Protocols, with a capital P. Now, the Protocols, of course, or the thread running through the Protocols, is anti-Semitism and conspiracist thinking. And that will come up over and over and over again. Uh, this is why this text is so popular with conspiracy theory shitheads to this very fucking day. Now, one thing that... Uh, constantly comes up as you go through this text, as I go through this text, rather, is that uh, the persecution of anti-Semites uh, proves the truth of their allegations. So no matter what you do to them, you could arrest them, you could shoot them, you could calmly explain to them, or make fun of them on a podcast, but any degree of pushback whatsoever will reinforce to them the fact that they are right. So you're never going to own these people in the facts of lo in the realm of logic and ideas, uh, because these are people who fundamentally don't have original ideas, and they are, as with all classical fascists going back to Mussolini, they are fundamentally anti-rational. They are opposed to the use of reason uh, in this particular uh, realm of politics. So moving on here. Uh, there's a great line right at the beginning uh, where the Jews are blamed for the existence of anti-Semitism. So anti-Semitism is, uh, according to the anonymous author of this text, cool and good, um, but also a ne necessary defense of the state from an internal threat and is also the Jews' fault. So, quote, the claim of the Jews that the protocols are forgeries is in itself an admission of their genuineness, for they, for the Jews never attempt to answer the facts corresponding to the threats which the protocols contain, which is some real debate bro online thinking, uh, real, real interesting shit going on there, in a pathological sense, certainly. So, the wording of this, of course, hedges its bets all the time. Quote, the presumption is strong that the protocols were issued or reissued at the first Zionist Congress held at Basel, 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 in 1897. So it's a strong presumption, and therefore a presumption. But the rhetoric here is always self-reinforcing, as it, as we'll see here. Quote. Any reader of intelligence will be able from his own knowledge of recent history and from his own experience to confirm the genuineness of every line of this text. Uh, so says an old-timey German industrialist being cited from 1912. The guy was named Walter Rothenau of the, and I'm sorry for the German listeners to this podcast, the Allgemeiner Elektretaetsgesellschaft, who was write, writing a piece in the Wiener Freie Presse. Now, I don't know why these rags always call themselves real press or free press or whatever. Um, they seem to believe that the real press is controlled by some phantasmic force uh, that prevents them from simply lying and stating uh, falsehoods to large numbers of people as that is, of course, not the purpose of journalism. Quote, It must be noted that men with bad instincts are more in number than the good, 
and therefore the best results in governing them are attained by violence and terrorization, and not by academic discussions. Every man aims at power. Everyone would like to become a dictator if only he could. That's... That is, of course, real cop shit right there. I, for one, have no desire to be a dictator over anyone. Uh, I have plenty of people in my life who share a similar philosophy and outlook in life, um, who have gone to bat for me more than once, uh, and we sort of take care of each other and try to build a community and a network of kinship and friends and, and adoptive family and so on, and solidarity overall in a way that doesn't uh, have... A dictator with a boot on our necks. So that's absolutely not true. Now, as I alluded to earlier, uh, liberalism in the sense of a republic, a constitution, elections, blah, 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 capitalist economy, all that fun shit, uh, was a force to be reckoned with in Tsarist Russia at the time. Because Russia was uh, sort of viewed as backward in comparison to Europe, which had had the Enlightenment, the French Revolution, which, by the way, for my American listeners, nobody outside of America gives too much of a shit about the American Revolution. The French Revolution was considered far more important as an, an event during the Enlightenment in Europe, and certainly was exported much more so through the Napoleonic Wars. But uh, Russia was a little behind the times at the time, so... Uh, they were just getting on board with constitutionalism and republicanism and so on in the in the traditional sense. Um, but there were certainly plenty of like liberal constitutional monarchists whose loyalty to the Tsar and also elections meant that they were uh, brutalized by the Okhrana and thrown in Tsarist prisons, Tsarist prisons right alongside anarchists and proto-socialists and so on. Uh, so the uh, the purpose of this text to refute liberalism, praise the Tsar, and blame the Jews for all of Tsarist Russia's many problems will come up over and over and over again as we go through this. Quote, In the beginnings of the structure of society, they were subjected to brutal and blind force. Afterwards, to law, which is the same force, only disguised. I draw the conclusion that by the law of nature, right lies in force. Political freedom is an idea, but not a fact. This idea one must know how to apply whenever it appears necessary, with this bait of an idea to attract the masses of the people to one's party for the purpose of crushing another who is in authority. Jesus Christ, the writing in here is not great. I don't know if that's just a translation error or how people... People did not speak English that way in 1912, 1910. This is more like Victorian-level flowery prose. So I don't... I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck is going on with that. But to continue in the same section. This task is rendered easier if the opponent has himself been infected with the idea of freedom, all in caps here, so-called liberalism, and for the sake of an idea is willing to yield some of his power. Continuing. The idea of freedom is impossible of realization because no one has, knows how to use it with moderation. It is enough to hand over a people to self-government for a certain length of time for that people to be turned into a disorganized mob. From that moment on, we get inter internecine strife, which soon de develops into classes, into battles between classes, in the midst of which states burn down and their importance is reduced to that of a heap of ashes. So basically, people need to have elites ruling over them, and they need a strong hand of force to keep them in line. Otherwise, they'll just be a disorganized mob and try to overthrow the czar or something. And obviously, we can't have that. 
Quote, the political has nothing in common with the moral. The ruler who is governed by the moral is not a skilled politician and is therefore unstable on his throne. Or wait, the ruler who is, I'm sorry, the ruler who is governed by the moral is not a skilled politician and is therefore unstable on his throne. He who wishes to rule must have recourse both to cunning and to make-believe. And if anybody had uh, recourse to make-believe, it was certainly the Russian czars who told the peasants that they were ordained by God and uh, the, that God's ordination of the czars was mediated by the Russian Orthodox Church, which was certainly beneficial to rich bishops and to the czar and to the nobles, obviously. Continuing, out of, the more, out of the temporary evil we are now compelled to commit will emerge the good of an unshakable rule, which will restore the regular course of the machinery of the national life, brought to nothing by liberalism. The result justifies the means. Let us, however, in our plans, direct our attention not so much to what is good and moral as to what is necessary and evil. Before us, or is what is necessary and useful. Before us is a plan in which is laid down strategically the line from which we cannot deviate without running the risk of seeing the labor of many centuries brought to naught. So at this point, the text is beginning to transition from speaking as obviously an Okrana functionary, denouncing liberalism and opining on the goodness of the God-ordained czar, over to that same Okrana functionary uh, explaining... Or, or not, not explaining, but impersonating their own caricature of a rabbi in order to lay out this this supposed Jewish plot to take over the world. So, we're at the thirteen forty mark in this episode. So, uh, there should already be a content warning up. I apologize. I'm a hack and a fraud, but. At this point in time, if you don't want to expose yourself to explicit anti-Semitic bullshit as we pick it apart from this text, you are more than welcome to leave. Your listening will count towards the algorithm. I appreciate your time, and you really don't need to do this to your brain if you are uh, if you are of Jewish ancestry or an, of Jewish observation. Please do not put yourself through anti-Semitic bullshit on the account of my anti-fascist podcast. So... Moving forward here, uh, we are apparently writing down the evil plan. Uh, and writing down the evil plan, this was under the heading, We Are Despots, which is hilarious. <laughs> Both because the idea of a conspiracy to take over the world is written down explicitly with this incredibly run-on sentences. And also because uh, an Okrana functionary calling anyone a despot is hilarious. Quote, it is only with a despotic ruler that plans can be elaborated extensively and clearly in such a way as to distribute the whole, the whole what? The whole properly among the several parts of the machinery of the state, with a capital S. From this, the conclusion is inevitable that a satisfactory form of government for any country is one that concentrates in the hands of one responsible person. Without an absolute despotism, there can be no existence for civilization, which is carried on not by the masses, but by their guide, whosoever that person may be. It's the czar. The, the czar is ordained by God, and any challenge to the czar whether from anarchists or liberals or proto-Bolsheviks or what have you, is a challenge to God, to the order of society, to the natural world, and it's just completely unthinkable. How dare you? 
the fact that what currently exists happens to benefit the people explaining why what currently exists is fucking awesome and we should keep it that way, never brought up whatsoever. And you don't need to be a Marxist to understand that uh, there are, uh, uh, you know, political elites, economic elites, uh, certainly forms of social hierarchy that benefit from the current organization of hierarchical society and wish to keep them that way come what may. You certainly don't need to turn that statement into a dog whistle and a justification of horrible pogroms and persecution of, of random and random Jewish people. Don't fucking do that. And don't take that out of this podcast if that's really what uh, a, a non-Jewish person listening to this is taking out of it, that... Uh, the elites could be a term I'm using in lieu of the Jews. It is absolutely fucking not. We have explained more than once how hierarchy works, uh, what hierarchy is, how it poisons societies, how it stratifies them, and how it always leads to a vast majority underclass in any form. Uh, and you don't need uh, the brain bug of anti-Semitism to uh, understand that. Frankly, I'm uh, here to tell you that if you are ragingly anti-Semitic, you are actually not going to accurately understand what social power structures there are, and you're never going to free yourself of them. That's the entire point of propagating anti-Semitism in the first place. So moving on here, quote, Our state, marching along the path of peaceful conquest, okay, uh, peaceful conquest, has the right to replace the horrors of war by less noticeable and more satisfactory sentences of death, necessary to maintain the terror which tends to produce blind submission. Just but merciless severity is the greatest factor of strength in the state, not only for the sake of gain, but also in the name of duty, for the sake of victory, we must keep to the program of violence and make-believe. <laughs> yeah, again, if there's anyone who is an expert on uh, programs of violence and make-believe, it was the uh, Tsarist Akrana. So, uh, obviously. So, moving on here. The abstraction of freedom has enabled us to persuade the mob in all countries that their government is nothing but the steward of the people who are the owners of the country, and that the steward may be replaced like a worn-out glove. Uh, so once again, this is a, a an Okrana functionary writing as a caricature of a rabbi intent on taking over the world. These are, again, also supposed to be meeting notes. These are supposed to be jotted down in the margins. They just happen to be fucking paragraphs long for some obscure reason. Maybe the Okrana weren't experienced at running meetings, but they infiltrated all kinds of meetings, so I don't really know what mechanism went into this whole plan here. The fact that this became the text du jour of anti-Semitism is astonishing to me. Because it's so poorly written, and the person who, who wrote it is so obviously a cop. But anyway, moving on here. Uh, I, I, I can't make any more uh, of these long run-on sentences. Basically, kings are interchangeable because there are always powers behind the throne, and those powers behind the throne are, of course, purported to be Jews. Uh, any sort of... of uh, class struggle uh, against the aristocracy, specifically the aristocracy, uh, is uh, of course fomented by um, Jews, according to the the you know the the fake Okrana functionary in front of us. So here's this section explaining why you should not overthrow the aristocracy, written presumably not by the aristocracy, just happens to coincidentally be to their benefit. 
Quote, the people under our guidance, the guidance of the Jewish cabal, right, the, the fake Jewish cabal, have annihilated the aristocracy who were their one and only defense and foster mother for the sake of their own advantage, which is inseparably bound up with the well-being of the people. Nowadays, with the destruction of the aristocracy, the people have fallen into the grips of, you, uh, you can put the parentheses here, merciless money-grinding scoundrels who have laid a pitiless and cruel yoke upon the necks of the workers. So capitalism is worse for workers than uh, aristocracy is. Great. What a hot take there. We appear on the scene as alleged saviors of the worker from this oppression when we propose to him to enter the ranks of our fighting forces, socialists, anarchists, communists, to whom we always give support in accordance with an alleged, alleged brotherly rule of our social masonry. The aristocracy which enjoyed by law the labor of the workers, was interested in seeing that the workers were well-fed, healthy, and strong. <laughs> yeah, like, according to what I just read, the aristocracy had an interest in benefiting the working folks and peasants the same way that a tick doesn't actually want to drink all of your blood. It doesn't want to actually stop you from being able to produce more blood. But it's in the tick's interest for you to keep making blood so that the tick can drink blood from you. In the same way, this text alleges, aristocrats in Tsarist Russia had an interest in seeing that working folks were well-fed, healthy, and strong. The fact that the life of a peasant in uh, 19th century Russia was miserable and brutal and poor and short, um, they weren't even good at this alleged job of theirs, so why keep them? The aristocrats, I mean, you know? Uh, any Soviet anti-Semitism would serve to prove, disprove later the idea that socialism was a Jewish plot. Um, I noted that because obviously if you're, if this cabal were real, which I can't emphasize this enough, it is not this, this, the, the, the no. Um, but if for the sake of, of picking this idea apart in a non-debate format, because you never want to debate these people. But if this were real, any evidence of anti-Semitism in the Soviet Union would disprove the idea that socialism was a plot by the Jews. Um, and luckily, uh, there is ample evidence of anti-Semitism in the Soviet Union. I'm not going to go into that here. You can go look that shit up for yourself if you're not a complete hack who has anti-Semitism on your brain just destroying your ability to read reality. Uh, for those of us who are not afflicted with that bug, we shall continue here under the section. Uh, okay. We shall destroy God. Uh, all right. <laughs> who, write, who, uh, who reads this and takes this seriously? This is astonishing to me. Uh, but we have the we shall destroy God section. And in that section, we have the first thing... Uh, which is a plot against the czar and natural principles of inequality, which is math. Uh, yes, math. Mathematics is a plot by the Jews to overthrow God and the czar. Um, that's, I don't really know what to say to that. I can't even joke about that. That's, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, moving on here. Uh, the cabal has, uh, robbed the the people of their faith in kings and aristocrats um uh, 
the poor landlords are being targeted by this imaginary plot and also by actual like peasants and workers in Russia as well they should be uh raising raising wages also a jewish plot uh uh wait hold on uh uh which cop missed this one on the cop editing board so whoever cop whatever cop wrote this th- this slipped past the editor at the okrana and uh is really laughable really gives the game away here quote the intensification of armaments the increase of police forces are all essential for the completion of the aforementioned plans of the hypothetical cabal. What we have to get at is that there should be in all the states of the world, besides ourselves, only the masses of the proletariat and a, a few millionaires, police, and soldiers devoted to their interests. Uh, yeah, police and soldiers serve the interest of economic elites that should not be shocking you don't need anti-semitism to explain that the principal factor the writer continues in this section in the political is the secrecy of its undertakings and obviously the best way to keep your political undertaking secret is of course to write them out in voluminous detail in a 57 page pamphlet that is published all over the fucking world uh so we can skip the the section our goal world power. You can probably deduce what that means. They explain what liberalism is because 19th century Russia had no idea what liberalism is. I already did that, so we're gonna go past that here. Uh, <laughs> uh so they wanna the you know the fictional cabal is infiltrating all socialist and anarchist movements, all liberal capitalist movements, everything that is not uh, in favor of the Russian aristocracy uh, is uh, trying to take over the world on behalf of the fictional Jewish cabal. Uh, in fact, the Russian aristocracy gets shouted out by name, which again gives the heart, gives the heart of this away. Uh, the principal guarantee of stability of rule, says the writer, is to confirm the aureole of power, and this aureole is attained only by such a majestic inflexibility of might as shall carry on its face the emblems of inviolability from mystical causes from the choice of God. Such was, until recent times, the Russian aristocracy, and uh, I'm sorry, Russian autocracy, it says, the one and only serious foe we had in the entire world without counting the papacy. I thought the the Pope was uh, part of this same hypothetical cabal. Certainly conspiracy theory shit has these days. Not fans of the papacy. Um, apparently Russian Orthodox uh, cops did not feel the same way. Uh, but basically, that is the rest of the text is in that vein. It goes through further uh, paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of meet of notes from a secret conspiracy meeting to take over the world. Now, Having covered the text, I feel like it's worth going on for a bit about the greater context in which this text is located. So, obviously, as we've alluded to on this podcast previously, this book took off like wildfire. It spread anti-Semitic talking points and ideas all over the world to an extent that is truly astonishing. Henry Ford, yes, Henry Ford of Ford Motor Company, 
card-carrying Nazi, winner of the medal from the Third Reich that he proudly displayed in his office well into World War II, by the way, uh, who actively collaborated with Hitler and was one of the American companies that went around FDR's sanctions against Nazi Germany. He was a big, 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 big fan of this text, as we've covered previously. He uh, had the protocols edited, whittled down a little bit, translated into a text entitled The International Jew, which he published out of Dearborn, Michigan, and which he attempted to use to poison the labor movement that was busy fighting big capitalist tycoons like Ford Motor Company in the late 1800s, early 1900s, prior to and slightly after World War II. Uh, so Henry Ford, big fan of this text. Uh, obviously, the Tsar was overthrown in 1917. This led to the Bolshevik Revolution, which led to, led to the rise of Stalin and Stalinism, which was a notably anti-Semitic and in many ways a, a reactionary political system, as well as being a straight-up authoritarian one by definition. Um, but it, it is no, worth noting that uh, explicit organized anti-Semitism in the Soviet Union in the sense of having a meeting explaining the cabal of Jews wanting to take over the world was illegal and punishable by either uh, arrest and law and sentence or death penalty depending on where you were and when in the, the course of the Soviet Union. But this, of course, didn't stop Stalin from doing things like the doctor's plot, where he believed that a cabal of Jewish doctors were trying to poison him, and that was why he kept having TIAs, and so on. Um, but this text took off like wildfire. It was published by uh, the Nazi party in Germany. It's still shared around by neo-Nazis to this day. It's extremely popular among white nationalists who don't fly the swastika. And frankly, if you see a, a normie-ish conservative who starts talking too much about the protocols of the elders of Zion, that is a huge, huge red flag. It's specifically a red flag with a white circle on it and some sort of weird cross-looking thing on it. It's that flag flying writ large, and you need to respond accordingly. So hopefully this podcast will help you understand why there is no secret cabal of Jews running, running to take over the world, in case you needed that explained to you for some reason, uh, and that your actual problems are caused by... Uh, petty, power-hungry uh, hierarchs who want to run society as a giant pyramid scheme. Sort of a series of overlapping pyramid schemes, which I would maintain is not the best possible way of running a society. Um, but until next time, uh, I am your host, Doc, and I will see you in the streets.